Well, I'd like you to welcome to uh, SACPA today, Southern Alberta Council on Public Affairs. And our topic today is it time to change Canada's electoral system. Our speaker will be Mr. Phil Elder. Phil is from Calgary. He's a lawyer from Calgary. He took a schooling at Queen's University, University of British Columbia, University of London. In the 70s, he was involved with, uh, he was an assistant to various cabinet ministers in Ottawa, and also including uh, Prime Minister Pierre Elliott Trudeau. Later on in the 70 to 73, Phil taught criminal law at the University of Western Ontario. He then joined the Faculty of Environmental Design at the University of Calgary, where he taught environmental and planning law until taking retirement in 1997. He was Associate Dean for eight years. Phil has also been involved in city and provincial politics, founding an urban political party in 1977 and running unsuccessfully for both municipal and provincial office. Phil has written widely on renewable energy policy, environmental and planning law, and environmental philosophy. He is the co-chair of the Democratic Renewal Project in Calgary. Before I invite Will, Phil to come up here, I'd just like to remind you that uh, our sessions are recorded. And also to remind you, as you all well know, that to place $10 in your basket, except for our two guests today, and make sure that uh, someone counts it so that the uh, person coming around can uh, collect for lunch. We'd like to acknowledge our partners the University of Lethbridge for their support and also for Country Kitchen, country kitchen Catering for their preparation of our lunch. As you well know, our format, format is that we'll have Phil talk for about 25 to 30 minutes, then we'll have lunch, and after lunch around 1 o'clock we'll start with questions and answers. Our microphone is off to the left here. When you do come up to ask a question, we ask you to be brief, state your name first, ask the question, and then uh, if you could return to your ch table so that other questioners can come forward. So without further ado, I'd like to uh, invite Phil Elder to come forward and uh, give us our presentation. Well, good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. I'm amazed to see this number of people out on a day like this. An hour ago, I wasn't sure that I'd be here, never mind you. The, uh, the windy southern Alberta roads certainly came through this morning with blowing snow, and at one point, I think the visibility was down to about 50 meters, 
and with the transport trucks, it was lots of fun. So I'm sure that things will be calmer on our way home, and I'm just delighted to be here and to have been invited to talk to you about uh, one of my favorite subjects, proportional representation. In uh, my long uh, life and uh, interest in politics, I always was quite familiar with our present first-past-the-post system, whereby the uh, person who gets even one more vote than anyone else in the particular region or uh, riding uh, wins. And it only occurred to me uh, fairly recently that there might be alternatives, and indeed there are. And I uh, discovered in doing some research that over 80 democracies in the world do not use the first-past-the-post system, but they use a different one, which I will come to in a moment or two. It may be too strong to say that democracy in Canada is in crisis, but it's certainly in distress. Several years ago, the Law Reform Commission of Canada said, quote, for the past decade or so, Canada has been in the grip of a democratic malaise evidenced by decreasing levels of political trust, declining voter turnout, increasing cynicism towards politicians and traditional forms of political participation, and growing disengagement of young people from politics. I think part of the reason for this malaise is that the results of elections under our present system do not correspond very closely to the vote count. I've already referred to the first-past-the-post voting system, which is officially known as, quote, single-member plurality. Whoever gets the most votes wins no matter what percentage that is of the total vote. For example, with five candidates, it's mathematically possible that the winner can receive little more than 20% of the vote, even though 80% of the electorate has rejected him or her. This type of result leaves the majority of voters without representation distorting their overall electoral desires. Now, of course, we have to look at the overall picture of a general election and not just an individual seat. But here are some examples of distortions in general elections. In New Brunswick in 1987, Frank McKenna's provincial liberals received 60% of the vote, but 100% of the seats. This means that 40% of the voters supported parties that were totally excluded from the legislature. These voters might as well have stayed home. In Alberta's 2008 election, Ed Stelmach's progressive conservatives received 52.6% of the votes cast, but won 87% of the seats. Almost 50% of the voters had to be content with 13% of the seats. Remember Kim Campbell's federal election in 1993? Her progressive conservatives received 16% of the vote, but won precisely two seats. Yet, in the same election, 
the Reform Party, with 19% of the vote, less than 3% more than the Tories got, won 52 seats because its support was heavily concentrated in one region. Guess which region? Political scientist Henry Milner claims that with PR, the progressive conservatives under Kim Campbell would have won 46 seats. In the last federal election, the Green Party received almost 940,000 votes, but not one seat. Yet in a changing world, with urgent environmental and climate change issues, don't the Greens deserve to be heard in the legislature when these issues are being debated and when laws are being passed? But there's more than fairness involved here. The federal Bloc Québécois, while it has never won as many as half the votes in Quebec, has at times taken up to 70% of that province's seats and made it appear falsely that the Québécois are more far more united in favor of a sovereign Quebec than they really are. It has also limited the ability of federal governments, both liberal and conservative during this period, to have a plentiful and talented group of Québécois who can be called upon to participate in federal governments. I'll ask this uh, rhetorical question, but the answer is no. Who thinks these disproportionate results were fair? No wonder so few people vote. In 2008, almost 60% of Alberta voters stayed home. This means that when you work the math, the PC government elected at that time was supported by only about 22% of all eligible voters. No wonder there's a democratic malaise. First Past the Post was designed for two-party systems in smaller countries and regions. The problem is that today, Canada has a rich variety of points of view and multiple parties representing them. That's why Fair Vote Canada believes we should follow other modern democracies, 81 at last count, and use a more democratic voting system, one which distributes seats to parties according to their share of the popular vote. In spite of these distorted results, some people still favor FPTP because it's more likely to create majority governments, which they claim can govern longer and more decisively than minority governments or coalitions. But if the art of politics is compromise, and if no party has a majority of the votes, surely different points of view should be adequately represented and debated in the legislature, not settled by secret deals in the caucus of a governing party with a fake majority. And as for decisive government, a distinguished historian once told me that John Diefenbaker's minority government from 1957 to 58 was one of the most productive in Canadian history to that time. And still talking about decisiveness, do we have to look farther than Stephen Harper, whose iron rule is based on a minority in the House? And do minority or coalition governments mean more frequent elections because they are so likely to collapse? 
Experience in most, most European countries indicates that elections are no more frequent there than in Canada. Furthermore, coalition governments can also last for a long time, for about 50 years in the case of Switzerland. That's even longer than we do it in Alberta. <laughs> Germany has had two coalitions which each lasted about 16 years. But let's proceed. Fair Vote believes there's a better system than FPTP, and as I just mentioned, many countries think so too. In fact, Canada belongs to a small minority of modern democracies clinging exclusively to that system. The others use some variant of a system called proportional representation, or PR, where parties reaching a certain threshold of votes to eliminate fringe parties are awarded approximately the same percentage of seats in the legislature as the vote percentage they receive in a general election. Here's a partial list of democracies which use some form of PR, and I'm not going to read all 81. Austria, Belgium, Cyprus, Denmark, Finland, the European Parliament, Greece, Germany, Ireland, Luxembourg, Malta, the Netherlands, New Zealand, Norway, Portugal, Scotland, Spain, Sweden, Switzerland, and Wales. According to one Canadian expert, Professor Henry Milner, quote, the political science literature is quite definitive. PR systems elicit higher voter turnout and representation of women and minorities and are on balance more effective in providing government performance that is both efficient and linked to commitments made in electoral campaigns. Let's compare the distribution of seats under our present system and the far more representative legislature which proportional representation could produce. Let's look at the Alberta 2008 election. The PCs, as I've already mentioned, with 52.5% of the vote got 87% of the seats, or 72 out of 83. Liberals elected 9, New Democrats 2. With PR, however, the totals would have been PCs 44, Liberals 21, New Democrats 7, Wild Rose Alliance Party 7, Green 4. Still a PC majority government, but look at the diversity of points of view there would have been in the legislature. This comparison shows how winner-take-all mini-elections in geographically confined constituencies ignore thinly distributed but significant points of view. Another example was the Greens national tally I mentioned earlier. A hybrid system of PR with single-member constituencies to ensure that local concerns are addressed and a list of candidates to top up party numbers according to overall popular vote percentages would reflect the comparative support for each party. Thus, in our view, it would produce a more democratic and fairer results. Most experts do favor this particular kind of PR, which is called mixed member proportional representation, but other variants are also possible. For example, the strict party list system and the single transferable vote that was recommended by British Columbia's Citizens' Assembly. 
And the referendum on that, you may remember, barely missed approval of the required 70% threshold. I think they came in at about 58. From 1926 to 59, by the way, Alberta used the single transferable vote to elect MLAs in Edmonton and Calgary. For more information about how these alternatives work, I've brought along a handout that I'll leave, which you can copy or I'll send it electronically as well to Lisa. Or you can Google, if you're into that sort of thing, proportional representation voting systems. Fair Vote Canada has not taken a position on which system would best fit Canada. I've already indicated my preference. But it recommends the decision-making process used in British Columbia, where a randomly chosen assembly of citizens studied PR and with expert advice on the different PR systems made recommendations to the government. And in the public referendum, I've already referred it, almost passed. Perhaps we should ask whether a 60% threshold for a change is too high. One last point on the alternatives. Some people fear that any system using party lists, which the party would create, would give too much power to party leaders who would advance their favorites, thereby tightening their hold on the party. But this problem has been dealt with. For example, some PR systems create a ballot that lets the voters choose their own favorites from the party list instead of candidates listed at the top getting first call when the topping up happens. Others have required, and this is a one I love dearly, others have required party lists to alternate male and female candidates in order to offset the regrettable dearth of female representatives. So the objection to leadership by, dictatorship by the leader or old boy preference can be overcome by what would be called an open list system. Well, it sounds pretty good. If it's so good, why haven't we done it? How can we implement this? There have been numerous opportunities or attempts in Canada to do it. Two referenda in B.C., one in Ontario, a commission in Prince Edward Island, recommendations in New Brunswick, and I believe the Northwest Territories. But never has a particular region or jurisdiction bitten the bullet and accepted this system. What's the problem? Political scientists have identified certain preconditions or things that are necessary in order for PR to be implemented. According to Professor Matthew Mendelssohn and his colleagues, quote, the factors that persuade politicians to accept change are quite easy to identify but difficult to reproduce. Mendelssohn's list includes scandal or institutional paralysis, which leads to a serious crisis of public confidence. We could add public rage, which I still await, at the sort of skewed electoral results which have resulted from FPTP. Interesting, linking electoral reform with other democratic reforms may increase public interest. The literature here, by the way, shows that if we look at only one sector or segment of our electoral and political system and do not 
analyze how it will affect the others and how others will affect it, like cabinet solidarity, for example, in coalition governments, then we are not doing the right type of analysis. We have to insist that democratic renewal, which I happen to believe very strongly is required, needs us to look at a variety of topics and make sure that their interactions will not go out of uh, sync if we change one of the basic systems that we use, that is the electoral uh, system. Mendelssohn, to get back to uh, the, the text here, has also observed that, quote, unpopular political leaders, recessions or general declines in confidence in the government are not sufficient conditions for change. Well-organized pressure groups, such as Fair Vote Canada, especially if led by well-known people, could kick start the campaign, particularly if backed with significant financial donations. I should have put out another basket. <laughs> of course, sponsorship of the idea of PR by leaders of parties which have been systematically punished by first-past-the-post can also stimulate public debate. This happened in New Zealand, which lost the night... Uh, I'm sorry, and in BC with the Liberal Party... And the Liberal Party in BC lost the 1996 election in spite of gaining a greater percentage of the popular votes than the victorious New Democrats. That's why Larry Campbell put it on the agenda for the Citizens' Assembly. Once the debate about proportional representation is underway, the Fair Vote Canada supports an independent commission of inquiry with a broad mandate broad, I hope, to consider the other aspects of our democratic system, followed by a broad-based participatory citizens' forum and then a referendum based on the forum's recommendations. And in BC, they skipped the Independent Commission of Inquiry but went directly to the citizens' uh, assembly. Now, to conclude on this part of the presentation... Many Canadians think that the defeat of PR initiatives in the ones I mentioned in BC, Ontario, Prince Edward Island, New Brunswick, etc., means that the idea, if not dead, is in for a lengthy hibernation. We must remember that a parliament elected under the old rules will decide whether PR is a good idea, and they are the very ones who have benefited from distorted election results. The idea may resurface, however, if future skewed results outrage enough voters. Probably the leadership of at least one party in the legislature will be required to get the ball rolling. In Alberta, this probably means the, Alberta, uh, the Liberal Party or the NDP. Uh, the other parties, I think, have not spoken on this issue. If these parties wished, of course, they could jointly undertake an initiative and even run a general election campaign on it. A motion in the legislature for a study of the alternatives to first-past-the-post or for a reference to the courts about FPTP's constitutionality might stimulate labor, environmental, women's and minority groups to climb on the bandwagon demanding more diverse representation, which the present political culture and power blocks in society have failed to provide. Now, you may think it's really blue-skying to suggest that there might be a constitutional challenge based on the Charter of Rights. 
Well, in 2001, the Green Party started one, but it didn't get off the ground. In 2010, in November, why, that's this month, there is a motion started in Quebec, and Fair Vote Canada and the leader of the Green Party have been given status to appear in the lawsuit. The thing will get underway in court in February. I think, and I've, I've done a little bit of uh, looking at this, uh, that the credible Charter of Rights arguments on fairness of representation can be made in support of the challenge. Well, we're coming to the end here. I've tried to show how first-past-the-post skews election results and that some form of proportional representation would be superior. It would be more democratic and therefore, we believe, would encourage many non-voters to turn out because their vote would at last make a difference. If you agree with this, here are some things you can do as individuals. First of all, learn more about PR. Uh, visit Fair Vote's website, or give me an email, or give Lisa an email address, and I can send you a brief on it prepared by another organization I belong to, the Democratic Renewal Project. Secondly, donate money to help Fair Vote publicize the need for PR. Thirdly, write and ask your Alberta MLAs and members of Parliament to support PR and to move resolutions in their legislatures. Four, write letters to the editor, contact your local radio and TV outlets, and talk to your friends about PR. And by the way, there is a petition outside on the table that you could sign if you're so uh, inclined. Fifth, ask your Minister of Education, School Board and Teachers Association to include units on democracy and citizenship in the social studies curriculum. Young people especially are turning off electoral politics, although many competent young people are volunteering for issue-based organizations. Unless we educate the next generation and persuade them that who governs is crucial if their aspirations are to be met, Canadian democracy will be in deep trouble. Now, I've mentioned a couple of times political scientists who sort of go off on, uh, on a frolic and, and suggest some silly things. But this silly thing that I'm about to suggest, when I began to think about it, may not be so silly. One of these political scientists has suggested a two-barreled approach to young people. One, lower the voting age to 16, but two, make civics and studies in democracy compulsory in their last year of high school. So when the election comes last month, last year, even today, they're studying it, and then they have the chance to exercise their own ballot at an age at which their parents may still have some influence on them. <laughs> So uh, that's an interesting idea, which I had never come up with. Uh, having seen some 16-year-old drivers, and I once was one, I'm not too sure about the uh, age for voting, but uh, I thought that was an interesting thing that I'd throw out to all us people who are young at heart. Next, join an opposition party with a chance of winning the next election or being part of a governing coalition. Attend policy conventions and move resolutions supporting PR. Now, I'm not being political here. I'm keeping in mind that existing government and majority parties strongly resist PR because they've won on it. Asking for opposition party support on PR is especially promising, as I've mentioned, like uh, 
Campbell in BC if their party has been shafted by FPTP and it will be more likely to make it part of their platform in the next election. And lastly, and I guess this really is political, vote only for parties which support PR. Remember, democracy works only if we citizens take the time, take the responsibility, make the effort to vote. But also a fair vote is a meaningful vote, and I believe we have to change to PR to make it fair. Thank you so much for your attention.